Welcome to our CyberWise Chats, where we talk about the challenges of raising and teaching digital kids. I'm Diana Graber, author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. Join every episode with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center. Our always lively conversations tackle topics like cyberbullying, screen time, TikTok, and everything in between. We've got some great guests and promise each chat will give you the tips, tricks, and confidence you need to help kids use technology safely and wisely. Okay. All right. I think we can actually start. Hi, everybody. How are you guys? Hi. It feels like a long time since I've seen it. It has. We're at the end of summer. School has started. Well, welcome everybody um, to our CyberWise chat today. Um, I'm Diana Graber. I'm the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of CyberWise and CyberCivics. I'm here with Pam, who's, I never know how to point on Zoom, <laughs> uh, with Dr. Pamela Rutledge. She's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center and Rick Andrioli. Um, he's the editor-in-chief of Parentology and Arias Collins, who's our community manager, manager at CyberWise. Um, just a quick note, uh, Arias, as always, will be manning or womaning <laughs> the chat box. So please feel free to put questions in there as we go along, because we'd really like to make this as interactive as possible. She knows to interrupt us if there's a question that, she, that you want us to address. Um, so today's topic, oh my God, or OMG, you won't believe what kids are clicking on. And first of all, I apologize for the clickbait headline, um, but we thought it was important to get your attention to this important material. So little background before we get started. There's a really great article on parentology called Social Media Becomes Official News Source for Millennials. Um, by the way, um, any um, of these articles that we mentioned from parentology will be on their homepage today, so check it out. Also, Arias will be sharing links in the chat box as we go along. But I wanted to talk a little bit about a study that was in this article from The Guardian that shows 18 to 24 year olds in the US most often use Instagram for news con content, about 25%, followed by Snapchat, 19%, and TikTok at 6%. Only 17% of those surveyed use actual newspapers to get their news. I don't think that's a big news flash for anyone that has kids. Um, but there's another poll conducted by Common Sense Media and SurveyMonkey, and in that it found that more than half of teens, 54%, get news at least a few times a week from social media. Again, such as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and 50% from YouTube, like who would think about YouTube for news? Likewise, this study found that kids don't really trust or use traditional news sources. Um, just a note here, because I, that study was done before the pandemic, and um, TikTok saw a significant growth in the last couple of years. In fact, 180% growth between 15 and 25 year olds. So a lot of this action is happening on TikTok as well. We're gonna show you examples uh, in a moment here. But before we get started, I really wanna kind of dive in and talk about what clickbait is, right? So Rick, as our editor-in-chief here, why don't you speak that one? So the official definition that uh, Merriam-Webster offers is that it is, quote, something such as a headline designed to make readers want to click on a hyperlink, especially when the link leads to content of dubious value or interest. I would extend that further and say that it also has to do with a dubious image because we are, especially with young people on social media, it's such an image-driven thing that we, even on Parentology, 
have a big discussion about what the headline is and what the image is, that it will show up in a Facebook feed, Instagram feed, TikTok feed. Um, it has its roots in yellow journalism, but in that case, it's where editors weren't exactly lying, but they weren't giving the absolute truth in the headline or the image. Interestingly, a lot of people credit BuzzFeed as being the one that got people into doing um, modern day uh, modern day clickbait headlines. You know, um, you'll never believe what happened to this man. Uh, but Ben Smith, their editor, argued that that was not clickbait because as long as what you get in the article does answer what that headline said, it is not clickbait. He clearly didn't understand that the term is called clickbait. It is baiting you to click. Um, Facebook defines it as a headline that users click but doesn't tell them what they will see. So I guess that kind of fits in there. But it's more commonly defined as a headline that intentionally overpromises and underdelivers. So when it makes a big, robust not- headline, <laughs> but it's not that exciting once you get there. But Rick, don't you think that most people would consider clickbait to be any headline that's provocative enough to get your interest? Yes, correct. whether or not it delivers. You know, the right. fact that the more clickbaitable a headline is, the less likely it is to be something of value. You know, is probably true. But I think that historically there has been clickbait, all you know, throughout the printed word, right? Headlines to try and get people to pay attention. And, and so I think that it's important to make that distinction because it's out there all day long, right? I right. mean, as you say, you're thinking very carefully about the image that you choose because you want to communicate, in your case, what the article is actually about. Um, that's not like, obviously always the case. Right. But, and, and But we do. I mean, if you define clickbait purely as trying to get the person to click, we do that the whole time. Like when we post an article, we won't say like Boston School District, blah, blah, blah. Because if we do that, people might not be interested in reading it because I said Boston in there. So we'll say school district initiates blank. Uh, We do little tricks like that to get, and I shouldn't call them tricks. I mean, I think it's valuable information for parents, regardless if it's their school district, right? But it could be considered clickbait in that regard. And then there's a whole thing about SEO, trying to get the right keywords in. I mean, it's a, a whole science. Um, and I think, you know, kind of the point here is it's important that kids know about the mechanisms mechanisms behind the machine so that they can start recognizing things, recognizing clickbait. Um, I didn't mention this earlier, but anyone who's attending today, we're going to send you one of our cyber civics lessons on clickbait. Um, it's, you can't really see it, can you? <laughs> um, anyway, we'll be emailing it to you um, because this is something that we do through cyber civics, teaching kids what clickbait is and having them practice clickbait headlines. But I wanted to quickly take a moment and read to you something from this lesson because it's how we uh, show an example of clickbait and this might be helpful to you as well. Um, This also comes from BuzzFeed News. Voters in 2016 were deliberately and cynically played by teens in a small town in Macedonia, home to at least 100 fake news sites dedicated to US politics. The kids in Macedonia would come up with a clickbait headline to get people to read their fake stories, simply to get the click. Every click generated a tiny amount of revenue, only a fraction of a penny, but that added up to a really good living for creative kids in a poor town in a poor country. Their biggest hit, and you might recognize this, was a story with a false news quote from Hillary Clinton saying Donald Trump should run for president. That that got over half a million shares, reactions, and comments on Facebook. So I actually, this is one of the stories I read to the kids a few years ago when we were teaching this lesson. 
And um, at the school I was at, they had just finished a fundraiser selling pies. And I remember one of the girls saying, wow, that would have been a much better idea for our fundraiser. <laughs> that's not really what I wanted to get across to them, but you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's an example of how this stuff happens. So Pam, what's the psychological reason behind all this? Like, well, I think people need to recognize that our brain just can't resist something we don't know the answer to. To Rick's point, if you give someone all the information they need, they have no reason to follow. We are biologically programmed to try and find the answer. And it's partly because that's how we think we're going to make our environment safe. We're not thinking all of that. We're just instantly reacting. So you can think of clickbait as being an itch that you just have to scratch. The neurotransmitters that fire fire in the period of anticipation of getting the answer, not when you get the answer. So the reward cycle is, is coming when you activate a, the something is, or recognize something as clickbait that you're interested in. That would be the other thing to mention is that it has to be something relevant to the viewer. So, you know, Rick's example again about, you know, parents who aren't in Boston, but he thinks it's important for parents. So he wants to make sure that he gets that audience, not just, parents in Boston, or in the case of those kids, not just people who don't like Hillary Clinton or who are looking for something salacious to share. So it's all happening subconsciously. So don't feel guilty about it. Just get smart about it. Right. And this is going, you know, really, we're talking about this in terms of this misinformation that gets shared, not only by kids, but also by adults. Um, I'm sure people have heard about this too, this quote that came out of the World Health Organization that we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're fighting an infodemic, said the Director General of the World Health Organization at a gathering of foreign policy experts referring to fake news that spreads faster and more easily than the virus. So we're gonna do something a little bit different today. I've actually got an example of fake news. It's kind of a funny one and it uh, causes me to have to screen share. So bear with me here. Hold on one second. All right, how am I looking here? Do you guys see this okay? Yep. Um, so I'm not gonna go full screen, but this actually comes from our um, cyber civics curriculum. Uh, and it's a really great example that, that I found on TikTok. So here we go. Why going vegan actually kills more animals. Let me explain. Now, as we know, farmers cultivate the meat and then sell it to companies who then sell it to consumers. And according to the Bureau for the International Trade of Culinary Harvest, this price that the farmers sell it for is actually regulated by the companies that buy it. So the Central United Meats Department then hypothesized that if consumers were to buy less and less meat, these companies would start paying less to the farmers for the same amount of meat. And what eventually happens is that these farmers have to kill more animals that slaughter more creatures than they usually do to make up for the fact that they don't get as much money as they used to. So pretty believable, right? All right, here's part two of this. And what's even more crazy is that this entire video is fake. But if the fact that I have a good camera and some good lighting and graphics makes you believe otherwise, then maybe it's a sign that you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet. So pretty, I had to actually do quite a bit of editing there because there's a lot of bad words <laughs> in the full thing. But I think it does a great example of you know, kids are seeing things like this from their peers and they believe it's true. So, well, Diana, you know, he also had, aside from his great camera and all that, he had some very clear markers of 
of authenticity, right? He made up a bunch of names of very official sounding things. He used the word hypothesis. He described a very complicated, you know, financial chain, right? Anytime you're talking about dollars and money, people think it's real. So he really hit a lot of the triggers that people would use to validate something without doing more research. Right. And if it's something that I care about, I believe it. So it's true. Right. And that's the problem that I think young people have with looking at news sometimes is I agree with it. So it must be true. Or I don't like what you're saying. So it's fake. And that's a job for us as adults to educate them on. Exactly. And it's like, it's hard because adults don't really have these skills or this knowledge so much. So, I mean, that's why it's really important for us to watch things like this, to reach out to organizations. There's so many of them that are pushing media literacy right now and educate ourselves so that we understand how to help our kids not fall down these rabbit holes. So talking about rabbit holes, we decided for this uh, webinar that we would each choose one to dive down into. <laughs> so I'm going to start with you, Rick, because you did YouTube. And I think people forget sometimes that YouTube is a social media network and mm -hmm. it's actually the most used one of all. Um, right. And there's a lot of news being shared on YouTube. So perhaps let me know if you want me to do your little screen share at this point. Oh, um, in a minute. So, so general stuff is 70% of US internet users aged 15 to 25 access YouTube uh, regularly. By 2025, it's predicted that 50% of viewers under 32 will not subscribe to paid TV because they can get free content on YouTube or similar platforms. 20% uh, of users will leave a video if it hasn't hooked them within the first 10 seconds. The reason I brought that up is that that's why clickbait on YouTube is as important as it is anywhere else. If I am monetizing that YouTube video, I want you to stick around for longer than 10 seconds or at least through that commercial, right? That's going to be there. Um, now here's, here's some interesting two little fun facts. The most viewed video on YouTube is Baby Shark Dance Song by Pink Fork with 8.8 .8 billion views. And then Masha the Bear, Recipe for Disaster, episode 17, is the most viewed non-music video on YouTube with 4.4 billion views. The reason I bring up those fun facts is those are videos kids would be watching, right? Now, they aren't clickbait though, right? Those video titles are, this is what it is, this is what you get. and and. Here's where things are a little different on YouTube. Um, so the top posts, if you go into trending on YouTube, are not as clickbaity as one would think. Um, you can probably put it up, Diana, if you want the graphic. Uh, they're often focused on gaming, music, TV, movie trailers, um, or influencers. Uh, so the clickbait on YouTube is often tied to sites that do clickbaits for their headlines. So if you look at these, these were in the top trending, but three of them are related to Minecraft, right? Uh, so it's gaming stuff, but those are gaming uh, clickbaity headlines, right? Because if I'm a gamer, it doesn't tell me what I'm going to find in the video. So I want to watch that and I want to sit through it. And two of them are almost 30 minutes, right? The one 5.5 million views, impossible, 0.001% odds. That's crazy. But again, look at the engaged image that goes with it, right? And uh, you'll see these clickbaity images with arrows and circles, usually in red, um, on a lot of websites that feature clickbait stuff. Like even CNN, if you go at the bottom and you see a company, like 
uh, additional articles by Outbrain, Taboola, those kinds of companies, they'll have ads like this. Um, so quick, uh, get rich quick, uh, Bitcoin, a lot of those things. But I don't think kids are looking at get rich quick and Bitcoin per se, right? I think those are more adults getting pulled in by it. Um, kids who are looking at a lot of things that we're seeing kids look at are compilations of, say, TikTok videos. It says what it is. It gets it, you know, best milk crate challenge video. That's that's legit. The danger is where what Diana was talking about earlier is when they're getting their news from YouTube and they just Google or they they search on YouTube for a topic. That topic can take them then to a clickbait headline that's been done by one of these media sites. So it might not be trending in the top, but they can get the clickbait that way. So it's almost like teaching kids to be uh, thoughtful on which video they pick when they see it in there. If they're seeing it from CNN or seeing it from uh, CNBC or Fox or whatever, those are probably more legitimate than if you get it from the hoop de doo review in Pennsylvania. Another thing is just for kids to understand that the algorithm is going to feed them more of what they've been watching. And you're falling down this algorithm hole where you're not really making those decisions for yourself anymore. Um, kids hate right. to be related. So learning about that is very powerful for especially a teenager to say, look, at, don't tell me what I like. <laughs> you know, Right. Out. If they follow, if they follow one of clickbaity news story, they will then see more, more, more yeah. and progressively worse, worse and worse as we found. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think kids forget is they Google something on, on YouTube, and maybe the story from CNN and, and you know NBC is current. But what you also get is an entire list of people with editorial commentary mm -hmm. on that topic that have nothing to do with the actual. I mean, that has only their opinion about the news story in it, but it looks very legitimate because there it is. It's on video. They have a title. It's like the kid said, you know, they have a good camera, so they look re as real as the guy on CNN. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad you said Google on YouTube because it made me think of something. Uh, teens today, if they want to know about something, they'll go to YouTube before Google because mm -hmm. they love wow. a visual explanation. So for them, YouTube is Google. And, and an important thing, Pam alluded to this in there, was um, an important simple thing to teach kids is to look at the publication date. Because they could look at something and you're suddenly, I've had my writers do this, where they pitch me a story and I've been around long enough to go, wait a minute, that sounds old, right? What's it? And they're like, oh yeah, this came out five years ago, right? But they didn't see that. They just got excited because the month was the right, same month, you know? Yeah. Always, always look at the date. <laughs> good idea. That's a really good tip. Um, all right. We're going to talk about Instagram. Pam, unfortunately, got assigned this one. It was a <laughs> right, Pam? Yes. Well, I think the really interesting thing for parents to know about Instagram is that Instagram, more than any other social media, really works like the mathematical network properties. You actually have to be in a network to connect to other people in that network. So I can't go to Instagram and say, what are what's trending with teens? I have to know a teen or I have to know the hashtag. I can search any hashtag I want, but I have to know what hashtag someone is currently using to talk about a specific topic. So it makes it very difficult for parents or anyone who's not already in all of these networks to figure out what's going on. But we're seeing an awful lot these days of sponsored content. And so it's very important, to, just as Rick said, to look at the date. It's very important to look for sponsorship. Now, interestingly, there are different rules for 
advertising things that you're selling versus advertising ideas. Advertising ideas, those those regulations are not as strict as when you're selling things. So there's some a lot of gray area in terms of people promoting beliefs on Instagram as facts. So it's it's very important to just have these conversations because you're never, I guarantee you, never going to figure out what your kids are seeing on Instagram unless you follow everyone they follow, right? But you can talk with them about what they like, have them bring you examples, and in an open-minded, non-judgmental kind of way, try and understand what they're liking about it so that you can ask questions so that you can be prepared and prepare them. Yeah. And Pam, let's talk a little bit about those sponsored memes that we were talking about earlier, because I think that's just fascinating. And I can even see your little- Fascinating. is It's horrifying. Yeah. So it- the uh, Huff Post just broke a story in the last what last week, I guess, um, about kids who are being paid by political action com- organizations to promote. Pardon? Kid influencers. Yeah, kid influencers to promote various memes and ideas. Many of them are anti-vaxxer messages or pro-Trump political messages and the kids don't care. They get paid. But you came up with a number, Diana, of like 20 grand a month for just promoting various memes. The the interesting and possibly scary thing is that these kids are then deleting these messages a few days after they first put them out. So they're no longer connected to their account, making it very hard to track. But there is one agency that has now 500 influencers that they connect with companies who have ideas, political agendas that they want to promote through these these little video memes or yeah. uh, image memes. Example that we found here, Pam, because I, I thought that was just really fascinating. I thought it was terrifying. Yeah, that's a better word, I guess. Hold on here. I got so many things open. Sorry, people. Um, here it is. So this is an example. Maybe you can talk us through it, Pam. Um, of one of these memes that actually led to donate to the Trump campaign. Yeah, well, so what they're essentially doing, first of all, you've got an influencer. And I think, and, and I think we'll talk about this after a little bit, because I know Rick, you want to weigh in on this too, but people, kids believe influencers. Those influencers aren't strangers to them. They spend a lot of time with them. They feel very personal. Psychologists would call it a parasocial relationship. It doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that kids perceive these influencers as knowledgeable authorities. And we have a very bad habit, cognitive bias, right, of assuming because somebody's good at one thing that they know something about something else. But you can see in these in these particular examples, keep America open. What kid doesn't want freedom, right? Or, you know, all the red and the yellow things, um, directing your attention. Because it's an influencer, their followers are likely to share it because they want to be connected to the influencer. They're not reading it either, right? They're just sharing it to be part of the group. And so I think, uh, you know, these such great examples, sometimes hard to find, but uh, well worth digging up and having conversations with kids about because you'll both learn something. Really, really, I think Instagram was the hardest. It's funny to me that it keeps getting listed as the number one place where kids get their news because it's so hard for an adult to figure out how. Well, and well, it's I not, would, sorry. 
Oh, no, no. Oh, it's just my, my daughter is here with her new baby. So we're watching a lot of like reality TV, like, you know, Next in Fashion and, you know, Bake Squad and all those things that you can watch that don't have really, you know, intricate plots. And so the finale of Next in Fashion, right? And one of the judges says, well, that's very Instagrammable because you really have to make it big on Instagram in order to be a success in the fashion design world. It's like, that's incredible that there's this niche carved out that matters materially to the career success of someone in a field that most people won't know anything about. Yeah. I mean, I think that even when I was writing my book, it's like the first thing they wanted to know is how many followers I had. It wasn't like, can you write? Six? Does my mom count? What about like the people that are, you know, this is an aside, but people that are great writers that are shy, you know? So I don't know. Our society has changed quite a bit. Right. It's a thing too that I think when a young person has a influencer say something that they agree with or whatever, they it, it they consider that news. They consider that a fact. And the problem is, is we've got plenty of instances where that has spread misinformation online. And that could be from vaccine dangers to the Momo challenge a couple of years back when Kim Kardashian said, oh, there's this Momo challenge causing kids to kill themselves online. And there wasn't, no, but because she put it out there, it went viral. And suddenly people are, parents are freaking out all over. It's also where the whole, you know, the, um, the moms that have gotten into the anti-vax campaign because they're hearing a lot of misinformation on Instagram that they're believing is fact, you know, and that's, it's a danger. It's, it's, it's a problem. Uh, you mentioned the Momo thing. And I remember when that happened, I got contacted by like kind of a major news organization to comment on it. Like, and I'm thinking, like that sounds so odd. Like they hadn't even vetted it. Vetted mm-hmm. it. So even news will fall for this stuff. So we are all catching up here, folks, right? Well, yeah. One of the most viral Instagram posts was a deep fake on Bill Gates sort of dis- dissing vaccinations that was then shared by celebrities like Cedric the Entertainer and a whole bunch of people who, so it might have started out as dubious, but by the time it's shared around by celebrities, um, it it gets this good, you know, good housekeeping seal of approval and, and kids believe it because that's their platform and that's their world. Yeah. And if you're wondering what a clickbait is, the, the lesson that you're getting today is actually called clickbait and deep fake. I'm sorry, if you're wondering what a deep fake is. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. On clickbait and deep fake. So two hard words to say really fast. All right. right. So I have the assignment of TikTok. So I, I just find TikTok so fascinating. So I'm going to share something here with you. Um, this was actually a study that was done by the Institute for Strategic Dialogue um, that w- appeared on NBC News. I, I find that to be a pretty reliable source of information. Um, but anyway, what they did is they analyzed 124 uh, videos that were anti-vaccine um, related. And they found that just those 124 videos had 20 million views. I'm going to stop there for a minute if you can think about that number. 20 million views. 1.6 uh, like million likes, 55,000 comments, and 339,000 shares. That reach, pretty big reach, right? So to its credit, actually TikTok was contacted about this. I'm going to put up what they said here because this is important. Um, we strive to promote an authentic TikTok experience by limiting the spread of misleading content, including audio and promoting authoritative information about our COVID-19 and vaccines across our app. Misinformation is, is an industry-wide challenge and we are grateful reports that help us. So 
that's important because we can report misinformation. I always teach my students how to do it because it's very empowering. Obviously, there's so much information being spread across social media. They all need our help. So it's that's something easy that parents and teachers can do is to show children how to report misinformation on the social networks that they use. Um, but a couple of thing, things about TikTok, it's super interesting, by the way. Like uh, if your child uses TikTok, I encourage you to download it onto your own phone and just peruse it. You will be probably fall down rabbit holes too. Um, there's a great mechanism called family sharing where you can actually hook up with your ch children's account to keep them safe. But um, anyway, it's, it works a lot like in, uh, YouTube in, in the, the regard that when you watch something, it's going to feed you more of what it thinks you like. The algorithms are very strong on TikTok. So if you're watching these kind of videos, you're going to see more of them. I actually just wrote a little article about this for Psychology Today. So I was watching uh, TikTok and I saw ivermectin trending and I looked at those videos and, you know, there were a lot of kids telling other kids that, hey, I tried this drug and it cured my COVID. You should try it too. And then that got me to another hashtag called COVID cure. And it was also a bunch of youth telling each other the crazy things they did to cure COVID. I mean, one involved motor oil. I mean, it was nuts. So, and then the kids are pretty smart about getting around any kind of bans on these words or hashtags. And they, instead of saying COVID, they'll say C to cure C. So like, I didn't want to spend my whole day doing this, but it was just enough to where I went, wow, this is something parents could, could really stand to, to take a look at. Um, last thing I'll say about TikTok, and I learned this also from the NBC report, is that even when they take down these videos of false misleading information, the audio remains in something called sounds. So sometimes users will take the sounds to create new videos which means in these cases, misinformation can be shared twice. So a lot to unpack there, but that's just a, a beginning. Well, my mantra is always show me the study, but I realize that's not fun reading for most people, but it's never has it been more important. And I would try and vet every piece of information. I mean, no offense, NBC, but the first thing I would have done is go to the back of that and see exactly who they asked. Uh, it's sh shocking how many people make pronouncements with no studies, of course, but how many studies out there are done poorly as well. And it isn't that hard to, you know, peek under the hood. Yeah, And that's missing, teaching kids about misinformation. Like number one, who's behind the source? You can start that so young with kids, but to, you know, of course you should question everything, especially because there's so much information online and anyone can post information. So don't just say, I don't trust the news media, but do your Teach children how to do research, real research, right. how to read research. I mean, it's boring, but it's important. Well, set them up well for their careers later. Yeah. yeah. There's also a thing of, um, I think this is, I have no data to back this up following Pam's uh, statement. Um, <laughs> but I think kids like a mystery. That's why Scooby-Doo did well when we were kids. And But the thing is, is if you can show kids, I had a great uh time with my niece and nephew, showing them how we debunked an article on parentology. Uh, because, you know, there was this photo, the photo looked authentic. I said, right click on it and do a Google search and see, you know, search Google for this image. It pulled up that it was a stock photo, right? And so they were like, well, wait a minute, it's a stock photo. It looked like it was a real photo. You know, these little things that kids actually can kind of get behind uh, if you teach them 
oh, here's how to be an investigator. Here's how to be a detective uh, when you're looking at this stuff. Totally. They love it. I mean, I get to do that every week via cyber civics and they do. It, it makes them feel like they're valued for using the internet and how to be a, a wise user and they're smart enough to investigate. They're naturally curious and they expect skeptical. So you're playing into all those things that teens are already Right. And what a great way to frame it as, you know, a detective or an investigator. Uh, you know, our inclination is to say, what? You believe that? Rather than empower them to actually uh, do, you know, look. Right. Exactly. Which was the, the topic of our lesson that I did this week, which I borrowed from uh, one of our co-workers, one of the professors at Fielding University, uh, Dr. Oler being a detective with the word tech in the middle. They thought that was hilarious. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you to Dr. Oler. Okay. So uh, this is my favorite part now is talking about influencers and like, what is going on here? Like that word is batted around a lot. So Pam, give us the background on why kids are following influencers and celebrities to get their information. All right. Well, so Social media has allowed all of these people, you know, all these extroverts, presumably, to create platforms for themselves and speak directly to their audiences. And there is nothing more powerful than feeling like you're being spoken to. And especially when they're reflecting back things you care about, it also makes you feel heard, whether they can hear you or not. So these kids are coming up and they're looking like aspirational models. I want to be cool or I want to be a good dancer. Or I want to, you know you know, eat too much or whatever, you know, goofy thing that they're doing, but they're very authentic. You know, there, there isn't a lot of bells and whistles. It looks very real. And especially on YouTube, which Rick can attest to the influencers comment back mm -hmm. to the viewers. So there's actually a two way exchange. So they're, the kids are very emotionally invested in these influencers. And they assume because they are on YouTube that they know that they're authorities about something. And everyone has a terrible habit of assuming that because somebody's good at something over here, then they should run for office. In, in other words, we, you know, as adults, we make that mistake all the time. So it's, it's a natural phenomenon. Kids are t at an age where they want to be part of something. They connect with the other people on the comments and on the feeds. So they create a, essentially a fan community where they, you know, they really feel ownership and they feel belonging. And it's very hard to deal with those kinds of emotions and those core instincts. And when you're trying to get someone to think critically. Right. And I think, Rick, you guys did a pretty good article on influencers, I think, that hopefully you'll have on your homepage today. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, we have an article up that's uh, why people follow social media influencers. It interviews a woman named Diana Graber. You may have heard of her. Uh, she's in that story. You better vet her. Make sure she's in right. The I know, right? Check her back. I, I have. She's good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, it's so funny. I was telling these guys earlier that when I taught cyber civics this week, we were talking. I was talking to the kids about technology, and the, the whole subject of influencers came up. And I asked them, like, who are you following? Man, the names flew at me so fast. And I'm so sorry I didn't have, like, recording on or I didn't write down the names. But they were names I have not even heard of. But one kid would say the name and every kid in the class would, like, nod their heads and say, oh, yeah, I follow that person. And these are, like, 12-year-olds. So at a Waldorf school. So <laughs> go figure, right? 
Um, but anyway, the one name that I did catch, because I've heard his name over the years, is PewDiePie. You guys have probably heard of him. He's a big YouTuber influencer who's been around for a while, got famous in the beginning because he would comment on different games. Um, but anyway, I was reading up about him this morning because he kind of disappeared for a while. But um, I guess a Wall Street Journal report found that nine of his videos between August 2016 and 2017 uh, included anti-Semitic jokes or Nazi imagery. So, you know, that's a good reason to maybe for a parent, especially with the younger children, you know, ask them who they're following and what they're seeing and what they're learning from these people. Um, kind of important conversation to have. Yeah, I feel like he got canceled yeah. by the by the kids. Um, although, I mean, I'm, just, I'm trying his, to look him up. Yeah, his name still came up, which I thought was surprising too because I had not heard about him for a while. Um, yeah. Well, so. a, num a number of years back, he got some flack for filming in um, in a cemetery. You know, sort of the equivalent of a, in a Japanese, uh, you know, house of mourning, and uh, you know, and it with you know images of his suicide victim. So that was that went very poorly uh, for him, and he sort of stepped back. But it's very hard when you're famous, even if you're Insta famous or YouTube famous, to disappear completely if you're willing to work at it. And make no mistake, these influencers work very hard to be influencers yeah. being a content producer is a full-time job yeah and kids want to be influencers and that's another lesson i think it's important to teach kids is like every time you post anything you have responsibility because you don't know who's going to see what you post you don't know if people are going to believe what you post so you know be truthful make sure that you're behind your content it's come back and bite you years later as we just talked about if you're posting things that are inappropriate or wrong or hurtful. Mm -hmm. So these are conversations that can be had before a child gets their first device so that they're smarter when they start using it. Um, you have a, I'm sorry, real quick. I was just going to say, you have examples in your book of kids who've, who've had this come up on them when they applied to college. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it ha still is happening. Apply to colleges, jobs all the time, you know, where their things they've done years ago will you know, nullify people in things they may want to do today. So I was going to check in quickly with Arias. Do we have any questions um, that we need to address? No, I think you guys are all covering it beautifully. Just want to remind people we're close to wrapping up. So if you have any questions that you want to ask, please put them in the chat box. Um, but I do want to talk about really our important takeaways. Uh, at what age can you start teaching kids about misinformation? I think very young. I mean, obviously it has to be age appropriate, but one of the first things toddlers learn how to do is lie, right? Because it's, and it's not like an evil thing. It's like, they're trying to test what's real and what's not real. And can they convince you and can they not? And that's a very good time to just start in a very non-judgmental way, separating truth from fiction and how you would check that and continue that conversation all the way up with more and more media examples. And uh, I think we talked about this too, is, you know, when you watch whatever your child's interests might be when they're little, whether it's trains or horses or whatever, if you're going to watch something or read about something, take a moment to see who um, wrote it or who videotaped it and, and talk about, you know, is that person an expert on the topic or is it just some random blogger? You know, it's, you can start that conversation very young. 
So hand in hand with that, what else can a parent do to prepare their kids for this, Rick? You know, one of the things that um, I've seen, my my sister is a principal and uh, has incorporated this with some of the things with her kids, but also with students at her school, is um, bringing up the craziest clickbait headline they found, right? Have kids find it. So it becomes kind of a joke and they learn to spot it and laugh at it. Um, it's a clever way of sort of flipping the script rather than making it sound like homework. It's the, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This is funny. This is, um, whatever. And then it becomes a game, but also a game that's educating them along the way. Another, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Another thing, this is sort of a tangent that we brought up earlier about reporting false information. We have an article on the homepage of parentology of how to report false information to Facebook, Google, and all these other social media sites. So again, what Diana was talking about was empowering kids to be able to do things, to to take ownership of it. These This is a way that they can report that information um, themselves, or you can have it to do with them. That's so important. Really important article. So I hope people will take time to look at that. And I just wanted to mention that um, in the lesson you'll get today, Actually, it's a it's an activity where the kids will read the Three Little Pigs story and write a clickbait headline for it. Um, I've done this so many times with students, and it's they're so cute because they're like, "Can I write more than one?" <laughs> but you know, things like "Building with Star Sticks leads to shocking death." <laughs> you know, so letting them practice that lets them understand what it is and hopefully not fall for it in the future. Yeah, that and that, that would be such a great dinner time activity going around the table and how would you if you wanted to attract you know 10 year olds how would you make this or if you wanted to attract moms what would you emphasize in this in you know in your clickbait so that they start thinking about not just how you sensationalize which I think is brilliant and three little pigs is always one of my favorites um but how our markets get tar- or audiences get targeted yeah that's a, that's a great point um, the other thing too, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you can start this super young too. Look at web pages with your children and point out the difference between advertisements, sponsored content, and the real content that they're looking for. Um, there was a Stanford study a few years back that found that most students all the way up to college have no idea how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's a li- little bit of an art. Um, we teach this in cyber civics. It's a lesson I have to update literally twice a year because Google changes that often. Um, and it gets harder and harder to find your authentic content. So, you know, do, do your research yourself ahead of time and then do it with your children so that they can tell the difference. It's just really hard to do. Yeah, technically the government regulates um, that if it is sponsored content, it needs to say it at the very top of the page, but certain websites are really clever about hiding where it is within the masthead but it should clearly say it at the top. You can report websites, by the way, to uh, the FCC if they, if, if they are breaking the law. Yeah. I have a question from an educator. Um, just she's wondering how she can start to have this conversation with her parent body um, at her schools, um, just because she's finding that most of the parents don't know the difference either or how to really dig deep because many of, us didn't grow up with all this misinformation. So um, just any tips you have for for her would be great. Well, she's welcome to check out the CyberWise website. We try to post the stuff all over the place and just current articles and 
that would be a place to start. Parentology, again, on their homepage today, they're gonna to have some great info. I would share that with your parent body. Um, we have a newsletter too, so we're always updating parents with this stuff. And then through the cyber civics curriculum, we have send home parent letters that align with every single lesson to, so that the parents are learning the same content as the kids. So the struggle. And this three little pigs thing though, that you're sending out to all of the participants today, mm -hmm. that's a really useful tool, I think, for any for any teacher to give to parents because it makes, and maybe some real life examples of some on websites, but that way parents have what the real world is. And then that lesson helps, I think, really educate uh, parents and kids. Yeah. So that leads us to our last question. What can schools do? They can teach cyber civics. Yeah. They should be teaching something. And that's yes, that they regards to the article I wrote for psychology today I just think digital literacy is today's literacy like kids you know they're spending more time with their devices than they are in school or with their parents they're learning things online let's teach them how to learn appropriately online how to read the online world the stakes what's at stake when they post something how to report things all of the stuff is digital literacy it's just so important yeah. and I think you've done such a brilliant job with the cyberwise or cyber civics curriculum, but I think parents need to realize it's not just something that should be taught in one class a day. That so much of our experience is mediated. Do you use GPS in your car? Do you, you know, use a timer on your watch? There's all of these bits that technology interface with our lives that all require a level of media literacy. So having those conversations, um, you know, I think Diana's done a brilliant job, but even if you're not using her stuff, buy her book and then have these conversations so that it becomes not just a thing, but part of life. And there's a lot of great resources. You don't have to wait till middle school when we offer our curriculum, but there's so much great stuff for younger kids from Common Sense Media to Be Internet Awesome from Google. You know, so don't wait. Like, let's start with kids even when they're younger. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other questions out there, Arius? Nope. I think we're good to go. Oh, Arius, you missed such an opportunity. Oh my God, you won't believe the transformation in the chat window. <laughs> OMG, you guys. Mine's blown here. <laughs> oh, we could be here all day doing this. Rick's got to get back to his real job where he can do this. That's right. Okay, oh, what do we do? What's next time, you guys? Um, well, you know what? In, in researching this, we realized there's like, it's not just kids are sharing, you know, in misinformation, but they're actually using social media in really like positive ways. So we're going to kind of touch on activism, the way kids are clicking for good or writing things for good. We haven't come up with our clickbait headline yet, but that's more or less the topic that we'll think of for next time is uh, social media activism. Um, and I'm particularly interested in it on TikTok because I see that network really transforming in yeah. ways that we're going to talk Act about. Activism or slacktivism? There you go. Here mm -hmm. We'll find the difference. So stay tuned. What is it? <laughs> so, all right. Um, and all right, again, that will be the first Tuesday of October at noon. So we'll awesome. see you guys then. All right. Cool. Nice Thanks to see you guys. Great conversation. Thanks, everyone. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye.